0: Welcome back, everybody, to the Below Average Joe's MMA podcast, episode number 115. It's Wednesday. That means we're coming at you with another episode that's just a bit extra special. It's July 6th, 2021. It's time for another Reddit roundtable. I'm joined by, as always... I don't know why I always, I always throw a buy in there for some reason. So. Eh, whatever gets the job done. I'm joined, as always, by Dominic Salee. I'm Noah Baker. Dom, how are we feeling? It's been a week since we last saw each other. We, It's been a bit of a – we're finally getting some more news coming out, but otherwise been a very dull week to be an MMA fan, wouldn't you say?
1: Yeah, as bad as we wanted to do a Friday episode or Monday of this week, there just wasn't quite a – there was – a good chunk but not enough for a whole episode worth so we're just going to throw it all in for this coming friday's mma weekend preview nevertheless it was a tough week without you know us, so i'm so glad we're back here in the studio and it's your baby the reddit round table it's going to be a good day
0: yeah i also realized i kind of messed up at the beginning you guys well, have we seen are this
1: recording this on the 6th on july fair. 7th
0: 2021 <laughs> so um yeah but it's good to be back here with you it's felt a little longer than just a week this time. Ah, so, it did. It did. I think a lot of that's just because there was no UFC to watch this weekend, no Bellator, no Peter No nothing. Bell. There was no real – Not, I mean, the news was finally, over the last couple of days, started to pick up a little bit. But, I mean, otherwise, just not a ton going on. But it's the calm before the storm right
1: now. Oh, yeah, it is.
0: Because we know that even though we're saying this, it's fight week again. It is. And not just any fight week, it's a Conor McGregor fight week. There's nothing like it. And it's a huge, probably, dare I say, one of the biggest fights of his career as he goes up against Dustin Poirier for the third time. Dustin coming off of his biggest win of his career, knocking out Conor McGregor in their previous outing. So they're going at it again. We're going to have a lot of questions about UFC 264 on this episode. Um, So... We'll be getting into it quite a bit here, but obviously Friday will be the big weekend oh, yes. preview, and it's going to be all about UFC 264. Now, for those of you that don't know what Reddit Roundtable is, if this is uh, the first time you're watching one of these, essentially, I uh, we scour the internet to the yes, bowels, everywhere to the bowels of the internet, whether it's Reddit, Twitter, Instagram. Sometimes I find them on some random YouTube videos. It. Anywhere I can find someone asking a question relating to MMA, Fame I questions. will use it. Yes, yep, viewer questions. We got one of those today as well. I will use it, and we basically pull together about uh, 10 to 12 of them, and we just talk and give our thoughts on them. And the, hope, and the hope is down the line that more and more viewers will start just sending us their own questions, and we can just turn this into our own community-based Q and a type sessions and uh, yeah. So otherwise, if you would like to leave us your own question for a future episode, you can do so. If you go to either of our Instagram or Twitters, they're linked right there. If you're watching, if you're not, um, he's at DC 14. I'm at N T Baker underscore, or you can go to the below average Joe's Twitter, Instagram at B a J underscore MMA podcast. There are links in our bios, or the link tree, which contains links to the Anchor page where you can leave a voice message or you can comment on this video or any yep. YouTube video, comment on our post on our social medias, leave a question, and we'll make sure to include it in a future Reddit roundtable Did I cover everything. Very
1: well said. I say we get into it.
0: All right, so we're gonna start right here at number one. I think we'll do our viewer question last. Is that is that the yeah? Way? That's what
1: we did in the last one, so we'll yeah. just keep it like that. All
0: right, so number one, and we're coming out we're coming out heavy right here. Yeah. Does having interim titles, and maybe I should set this one up. We recently <laughs> had an announcement. I need to do, do a little better about that. So is
1: this we have to talk about on Friday. Yeah, but. so
0: we won't touch too much on the announcement itself, but just to give some basis for why we're even talking about this, uh, we just had a recent announcement for a good fight, a heavyweight for an interim title between Surreal Khan and Derek Lewis. Uh, very controversially, I might add. <laughs> yeah, this fight has been put together at least for. For the interim title, that's the controversial part. So the question that's been presented here to us, Dom, does having interim titles ever matter, or are they always pointless? So if the
1: grand scheme of interim titles, this is essentially a number one contender fight, if you will. I mean, that's basically what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the more one or most recent ones that are just coming to mind fresh off, and it's because he's fighting this weekend, was Dustin Poirier against Max Holloway due to Habib's extended absence. A lot more uh, going on in that one, though, with Habib. He was suspended with all the crazy stuff that happened in the Connor aftermath. So that one made sense. You need someone to at least have an interim belt to determine who's going to fight for the undisputed. But really, at the end of the day, you don't even need a gold belt. It's just a number one contender fight. That's all it is. Is it pointless? This one feels pointless. The one that we're going to talk about Friday between uh, Lewis and gone feels very unnecessary, very pointless.
0: I think this is a very egregious example. Yeah, it's
1: one of the most unexpected, unnecessary ones.
0: So in terms of just some of the other ones we've seen, like I guess the way – not just the UFC. I mean, Bellator just brought in that first. like that makes sense, you know. Mm. I guess for me, maybe I'm a little harder on these titles because I personally just look at it like you have one champion, right? Yeah. Now I understand where I think an interim title can be of value or be worthwhile is if you have a lot let's say back when Anderson Silva in like twenty eleven, you know, the guy had held the belt for how long at that point? Five years was
1: on the tear, yeah. You
0: know, just at the peak of his of his stardom let's say he goes down with like a torn ACL or mm-hmm. something out for 12 months, 12 to 15 months in that situation, you put an interim title in place because you don't want to strip a long standing right.
1: yeah.
0: but you want to give other guys an opportunity to fight for a title. Yeah. So then it's still in a way it doesn't feel it's, it's never to me they're going to feel like real a legit title. Yeah. And I I I, I um, and I don't think there's any way to really fix that. I really don't. Because you crown a champion, so then you go, Well, this is the champion because they are not available. Right. So you're basically saying this is the second best in our division has to offer. It just it it inherently feels less valuable. Like anytime someone retires and their resume might have an interim title. I still just look at it like they never won a title. Right. Does that makes sense. Yeah. Like I told you, we talked about Dustin Poirier, and we're going to talk about this on Friday. So I don't want to like get too much into this. But for Dustin Poirier, we talked about like if he wins Saturday, you know, what could that do for him in terms of top Legacy. ten? Yeah, yeah all time status. And I said, well, I would never put someone in my top ten who never won a title,
1: an undisputed title. Yeah, but
0: he did win an interim title. It's just to me, that's just that it wasn't intentional for me to say it like that. It just that's how it came off. Because that's I see the I point, found. though. You know, yeah, I, I I get though where I where I do think that at times they've definitely improved cards or products. Prime example, UFC two thirty six headlined by two interim title fights and are two of the best fights of all time. Yeah. Think about it. If there's no interim titles on that card, Israel Adesanya and Kelvin Gaslam is a three round fight. Yep. So just for that reason, I mean, just because of that and then po- uh, Poirier Holloway. Holloway, yep. which was the main event. So it would have been five rounds anyway, but regardless fighting for an interim belt, just for that, those two fights, I'll say that they do have value and that I'm, I'm I don't want to see them go away but I just want them to be more selective, I guess. Yeah. And I get it. At the end of the day, you want to put a card, a, a title on these cards to boost its value, get some pay-per-view buys up. So I'm sure that's part of the reason. Cause this August card. We know Nunez. and <laughs> Nunez is not really able to quite carry a card by herself. Um, just over the pass. So I see why the UFC is doing it. This case, it's just, I'm not a huge fan of interim titles, just being honest, but I, I don't want to see them go away either because we might miss out on some amazing fights. Like, yeah, it's a
1: very like touchy subject because (laughs) there are points where it would make sense where your champion's inactive or injured and you're solidifying. Okay. This guy is for sure going to be next up. We're going to unify the belts, but then you have instances like the one with Lewis and gone. We're going to talk about more Friday. That's just, Literally, Ngannou just won the belt in March, and you're telling me he, in August you have to put a belt on the line. It's just, it's very selective, and I don't want to see them just pop up out of the blue all the time. If it's going to happen, it needs to be very specific. Why there better be a super long layoff for your champion or something that's come up? But you can't just be handing them out like candy. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a gold belt. So
0: it's true. It's true. I think we'll save the rest of that topic for yeah. Friday because yeah. I know we We're have trying some more. to hold back. Yeah, we're trying to hold back there. Number two, now half of our main event is really the whole the whole effing show, right? Conor <laughs> McGregor, uh, the biggest star in UFC history. We've talked about him a few times on here. Um, we've seen a different side of Conor McGregor in his last couple uh, fights. You, against Cowboy Cerrone, and then the last one with Dustin Poirier, we saw a very humble Conor McGregor, very matured, mature, a guy, a family man, if mm-hmm. you will, whatever you want to call him. But we know that the one of the big things that really catapulted Conor McGregor into the superstar he is wasn't just how good he looked in the octagon. It was how he talked – the talk out of the octagon in these press conferences. I don't think you'll ever see someone replicate that kind of success that he had with press conferences and how he was able to really build a fan base out of his words. Yeah. With that being said, this third fight with Dustin Poirier, they feel a little less, there's a little bit less, you know, respect, respect, chummy, 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 You know, these guys have got, there's been a lot of words shared at this time. You know, you you look at Dustin Poirier when he kind of called out Connor for not charities,
1: the charity stuff.
0: And uh, Connor did not take too well to that. Yeah. Um, There's been some words being, you know, some slight jabs being thrown on Twitter and stuff. So my question is, Dom, what expectations do you have for Connor McGregor at this week's UFC 264 press conference?
1: Well, I don't think there's going to be any buddy-buddy. No hot sauce is given out at the ceremonial weigh-ins. No mm-hmm. hugs or anything like that. Uh, but at the end of the day, he also is coming off of a knockout. So can he say that much to Dustin Poirier? Uh, <clears throat> I think there will be I mean, slight jabs. I mean, we saw what he did on Twitter last night. Well, I was going
0: to say, the second Nate Diaz fight, he didn't back down. And that was yeah. coming off a fight he got submitted in.
1: True. I guess in that one, a little bit more room for excuses to for him as well. Not saying he made excuses, but no, I, I don't know. I
0: think...
1: I'm not saying he won't come out and talk shit. He's gonna. It's just, you see it on Twitter, on Instagram. It's gonna <laughs> happen. The, he said a lot of uh, pee head. He's calling him a hillbilly. Some interesting <laughs> wordplay from Connor, not like we've seen before. Yeah. Um. But I think it's more so that Dustin's just going to come out and not really care and just kind of let it all go by the wayside. Now, will it actually? Or will it be in his head and he just chooses not to show it? Because we know in the first fight, Connor was in his head and it was over before the fight even started. So mm-hmm. Dustin is more mature now. And so he says, I don't really care which version of Connor shows up. It's all noise to me. We'll see. I don't think it's going to be anything like too bitter like the one with him and Habib. I, that was just uncomfortable. I don't think we'll ever really see something like that again. But it's not going to be the Connor of the last press conference. That, I can tell you, there will be shit spoken uh, and it will not be nice from McGregor this time.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely think that's kind of a given, right? That um, I don't think you're going to see Conor play it super, I guess, mature, nice, yeah. whatever, however you want to word it. Uh, it's kind of weird even – I feel weird even like <laughs> kind of indulging myself in this because it, it makes me feel like this is all pre-planned or something, but it's not, I don't think. But for Connor what I what I what I foresee here, I think he's still going to be more mature. Yeah, I think you're, you're going to see a lot of like subtle jabs. Like yes, a lot, of, a lot of that. Like he'll he'll talk very calmly rather than his usual back in the day anyway aggressive vigor. Yes, you're just going to see someone like who he's going to speak with a little salt behind his words. You know, it's yeah. going to be like it's going to be like these jabs that everybody knows is like a jab. But he's just gonna play it off like he's just speaking facts or whatever. Yeah. And you know, Dustin, he's admitted in the past he hates all the fight week uh, stuff that doesn't involve the fight itself. So he's not gonna be enjoying himself in any of these press conferences or any the weigh-ins. None of that. You, you body language experts, be warned. Stay away. <laughs> yeah. You you can't look at you can't look at Dustin Poirier's posture. or His the way his eyebrows move at the fucking way. Is he making eye contact? You know, uh, like it, it's just it, it, the guy does not enjoy the yeah. the the promotional side of the sport. So it's it's just not gonna look well. But I I'm looking forward to this press conference. I'll admit it. The last one look, as much as I've been maybe of a, a critic at times of some of these guys that tend to just really talk a lot of shit and it just feels fake and forced. That last press conference was kind of boring. So yeah. it was a lot of respectful. The best thing that came out of the last press conference was Dan Hooker calling Charles Oliveira Charlie Olive. Charlie Olive, yeah, it was the best thing that came out of that whole press conference. For
1: me. Yeah, man. So
0: if it's if this one, I'm at least more intrigued to watch it. I'll admit that. You know, that's
1: yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, when would we ever pose this question for any other fighter unless it's Conor? Like, oh, what do you think? Uh, it we feels think weird. So and so is going to do at the press conference. <laughs> that's why it like, feels
0: weird talking yeah. about it.
1: It really is just a Conor McGregor fight week. It's such an aura. You just, like, feel it all throughout the week. We're all the way over here in Ohio. We're not even in Vegas for the fight week or nothing, and you just feel like something special is happening. It's always this way.
0: Yeah. Sticking with UFC 264, but looking more at the undercard, we have a lot of prospects that are looking to really break out here, giving getting a quite a rub, quite a shine on a Conor McGregor card. And my question is, which prospect, um, with the win on Saturday should be on everyone's radar?
1: Well, no, I'm going to go with the 24-year-old undefeated 10-0 Ilya Tupiria. He's going up against Ryan Hall, one of the most dangerous submission aces in all of the UFC. You know, this guy's 8-1, 36 years old, a true veteran, but we just haven't been able to see uh, him fight very much, and we're going to probably talk about this a little bit on Friday at least, but this is a guy that has had so much untapped potential, we'll never truly get to see how great Ryan Hall could have been, no I matter assume. how much he can. Conti- yes, right. But for Tuperia, 24 years old, but he's already getting a billing on a Conor McGregor card on the prelims against a guy like Ryan Hall. I think it's saying a lot for what the UFC uh, thinks in terms of a high ceiling for Tuperia, and truthfully, I think he can really come out here and make a statement. It's a name that you're going to want to have on your radar should he get the job done against Ryan Hall.
0: Yeah, for Tupiria, the guy looks like a beast. He's he's a quite mm. the buzzsaw. saw. He's, he's so well-rounded. Cool, really good everywhere. Uh, but we know how specialized Ryan Hall is. We know what yes. he's going to want to do here. He's going to look to pull guard or drag down Tupiria into, yeah. his, into his game. His jujitsu is spectacular. There's no doubt about it. He's probably—I mean, he's—he's a better striker than, you know, someone like a Damian Maya. So he's at least a little more modern. But he recognizes where his, his, path to victory is, and he really only looks to win in that way. Right. So, with a matchup with Tuperia, it's dangerous for both guys. I mean, Tuperia is actually a two-to-one favorite going into this fight. Is he really? I'm shocked. Wow. I'm really shocked by that. That he is—he is actually quite a favorite. A lot of recency
1: bias playing in there, you know, when you haven't seen Hall fight in two years. I guess that's shocking.
0: It's weird because for a guy like Ryan Hall, who has fought so scattered about the last five or six years, you know, has really never stayed consistent with any sort of fighting schedule. Yet his name still comes up all the time because Mm -hmm. the hardcore fans—they know how good he is. Yeah, they love Ryan Hall, and I think that it, it there is something to be said about. You have a guy like Tuperia who's very well-rounded, very good everywhere, but yet the best skill that either guy brings to the table is Ryan Hall's jiu-jitsu. So, like, at the end of the day, if Ryan Hall gets it into his realm, realm, yes, thank you, then it's going to be a tough night for Tuperia. But it's just about getting the fight there. I do think Aaliyah Tuperia, with the win here, huge win. Oh, A name that is so respected among the hardcore fan base. It might not be someone that a lot of these casual fans that are going to be watching for Conor McGregor, they may not know Ryan Hall, but a huge name among hardcore fans, well-respected, former Ultimate Fighter season winner. Yeah,
1: he's Uh, a guy that a lot of people, you talked about it off-recording, a lot of guys that are ranked in this division don't want to fight Ryan Hall. So part of the reason of his inactivity is, yes, he gets injured and has bad luck, but also – he seems to have a hard time getting fights. So,
0: and I and I do think that if and we, I said this when he beat BJ Penn, and then when he beat um, Darren Elkins after, I said if this guy gets more consistent, I think he can really still make a run. Even though at that time he was already 33, 34. Yeah, now he's thirty six. You would think that like the door's about to shut on like any sort of title aspiration or anything like that, but I. With the guy, he is such a puzzle, man. And I he is. Why man. he's had not just, he's had a lot of injuries, but also just a lot of people have not wanted to fight him. Yeah. The fights he has gotten, a lot of times they've fallen through, whether it's because of him or his opponent. He's had a lot of bad luck, is what yeah. I'm saying. And people recognize how good he is. And nobody, let's be honest, I would rather get knocked out a hundred times than have my. Need blown out by yeah and all bar. my ligaments are torn yeah. and bones are uh, broken <laughs> i'm sorry it's just uh, yeah. you're not going to convince me otherwise so in a way and this will get into a question later he might be the most terrifying fighter just <laughs> yeah, for that right just for what he can do to your limbs
1: exactly yeah
0: but i'm going to give a shout to uh, another fight on the undercard Trevin Giles and Drickus DuPlessis, these are both prospects. Really the winner of, yeah. It's really the winner of this fight, and I'm not saying this guy's going to win, but I'm going to pick this fighter because I think his ceiling might be just a bit higher right now in my head. Drickus DuPlessis coming off a huge knockout win over the Joker. What's what's his name? The guy that dresses up like the Joker.
1: Oh, uh, Perez. Yeah, Marcus Perez. Marcus
0: Perez, thank you so uh you know that's a guy who's been around for a while in the ufc uh drick has looked amazing in that fight um guy comes in with quite quite a pedigree to him he's a really good kickboxer i i foresee if a win here i think this guy's knocking on the door top 15 already Mm -hmm. and that's only two fights into his ufc career so it's obvious even with Trevin Giles, who's this might be—I I don't know—off top of my head, it's like a third or fourth fight in the promotion. So yeah. it's, it's obvious so the winner here is uh, the UFC might be buying in a little bit to it. Yeah. So that's a battle of
1: prospects. Truthfully, yeah. that one. Yeah, for sure.
0: Moving on from there, we're gonna we're gonna get away a little bit from UFC 264 for a second. We'll come back to it, but just some some more, some more fun ones. So we'll be the first to admit, MMA is really kind of the explosion of MMA into the mainstream is more of a recent phenomenon. It's a, it's really a 10 years or so, you know, the last decade has really been the, the, the biggest growth. And to the point where like, you could reasonably ask a person on the street, if they knew what UFC was or MMA was, and they would probably be able to at least give you (laughs) something, you know? Uh, So because of that, this question involves recent years. So we'll say since 2010 or whatever, why have we not gotten more movies about MMA? And I think to kind of carry, to, to, to put this question into a, under a microscope, compare it to boxing, where boxing movies have remained consistent over the last decade or so. And, and have some classics too. And you classics. Know. You got the Rocky movies of... Before, but in recent years, you got the Creed movies. Southpaw is one that you talk about, you know, how much of a fan you are. I really liked it too. Um, I feel like I've seen some other boxing movies that were really good, but regardless, they've remained more consistent over the years. While for MMA, there's two movies that I can tell you off the top of my head, and that's Warrior in 2011, and then Here Comes the Boom, the Kevin James comedy vehicle in 2012. Um, you know, you had Box Catcher. that was a, a movie about Olympic wrestling back in like twenty fifteen, but more so because not really about it. it's Olympic wrestling involved, but not it's yeah. right, fine unless you've seen it. So what do you think, Dom? What's what's the real reason here? Why why are MMA MMA it feels like it's just as popular as boxing? Why can't we get MMA movies? You know, I
1: think it is just because it's still not as mainstream as basketball, as football. I mean, for example, I mean, we're getting a Space Jam movie remake here in July, literally this month, you know, so a basketball movie um, and, you know, football, baseball, all that stuff. It's still not there, obviously. Right. So I'd say that's probably the biggest reason. And also just like do actors want to partake in MMA movies? And because I know um, like Halle Berry did a movie with Valentina Shevchenko. It's not out yet. But, like, she had to go through and do all the MMA training and wanted to make sure everything was right and stuff. So I'm sure that plays a factor. Do actors want to fully indulge into essentially becoming an MMA fighter for, you know, five, six months, however long it takes to shoot the movie? And, of course, the Kevin James movie is kind of a comedy uh, at the same time. But I'm sure he even had to do at least a few things here and there physically. So maybe that's a factor. But, yeah, the biggest thing has got to be just mainstream. How many eyes are we going to get? Are we going to really bring people into the box office? to see an MMA movie. And I know we're talking about movie. I will say there is a really good show, uh, Kingdom, uh, based on MMA. Had some pretty big-name actors and actresses. I enjoyed that one, unfortunately. That got canceled even after three seasons. So even a show-wise couldn't go super far. I think it is just the sport is not quite on the level of even the boxing (laughs) and the basketballs and footballs and all that stuff. But as the sport continues to evolve, as younger fans – pick it up, that's what will I think push it forward in the future is the younger generation getting behind it now. So
0: yeah, from my for my side, I'm not gonna compare it to like basketball, football, baseball, because I I mean that's we're still a ways away from that level of popularity. But I do think there is something to be said, you know, why why is it that boxing remains so consistent at the movies and not MMA? And I and I think the biggest reason for that is boxing has proven through the Rocky movies. And, I mean, you've got movies like Cinderella Man's really good. Yeah. Um, they've proven that they are very – they perform well at the box office. Mm. They've proven it. However, MMA movies, and I just mentioned too, Warrior, I know, did really poorly at the box office. I don't know about Here Comes the Boom. Kevin James, you know, maybe it did all right. At um, least a
1: big-name person. but Yeah, yeah.
0: but – um You know, I don't remember it being a big movie. You know, I'm a you know, I'm a guy that follows Oh, you're a big movie guy. Big movie guy, so I definitely follow it. And I I don't remember that movie was definitely kind of a blip on the blink and you miss it type movie. So I think it's a lot of it's just MMA's not proven that it's valuable as an as a entertainment asset. As you know, you would think though now that they have this new ownership group that came in in 2016 mm-hmm. that are so heavily involved in Hollywood and entertainment industry, in general, yeah, you would think that there would be a push for that. Um, we did have talk of The Rock doing a, a oh, a yeah. machine Mark Kerr movie, yeah, um, that's kind of fallen off the face of the earth, and ever since that got announced, I've not heard anything about that movie ever since. Um, but, you know, it's The Rock. That man's out there doing a million things. At <laughs> yes. Once. So... Um,
1: I will say, yeah. why we're going movies, we do see a lot of MMA fighters, though, branch out and do movies. Not MMA movies, but like Miss uh, yeah. Bing, Max Holloway, Valentina's doing the Holly Berry movies. Well, even
0: back in the day, Randy Couture was in the Expendable yeah. movies. Uh, uh, Rampage Jackson was on the A-Team movie, did the Mr. T-Rule. Yeah. So we
1: have seen that. So... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know, man. It is just kind of a question that's up in the air. Will we see more in the future? Yeah. Will they flop? Just maybe. We'll. (laughs) There'll never be another Rocky, that's for sure.
0: Well, you know, there could. Hey, man. uh, Look, I'm a huge Rocky fan. It would be cool to have
1: the MMA version of Rocky. That would. That's what
0: I'm saying. Like, it just maybe the sports still just like Rocky. Just it feels so triumphant. Yeah. like, Like classic. I don't know if MMA can really feel like that yet
1: build that storyline, find that right person. MMA,
0: if you you look at MMA and its it's roots are in, like, honestly, it's kind of cleaned itself up over the years. Yeah. But it started as being viewed as, some of it's its own promotional fault, as a seedy, underground, you know, fight to the death. Barbaric. Yeah, yeah. So it's cleaned itself up to a point now, or at least... In people's eyes, it's became a cleaner sport, even though it's really the same thing. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Maybe you can't really do a boxing's version <laughs> or an MMA's version of Rocky because Rocky just feels so yeah. classic, so yeah, clean, so tr- like I, I don't know how to explain it. It just feels there's a certain feeling in that movie that I don't know if can be replicated in a sport that's so as new. Right um, it's as ripe as a as MMA is, but I want a, I want an MMA movie right now. Yes, the next big hit. We'll do a movie breakdown Dwayne whenever the times come. Dwayne Johnson, get in there, brother. Yes, grow that hair out. <laughs> we need you to be Mark Kerr. Damn it. Yes, come on. Now moving on from there. This is a question I uh, teased just a little bit ago talking about Ryan Hall. We have seen Dom um, some. Scary, scary fighters come through MMA over the years. Um, some have at times fallen off and have become a little less scary, but some have maybe remained just as intimidating day one as they were when they walked out the door. So my question is over the course of MMA history, who and kind of when, I guess if, you, if it has to be, you know, branched out that far, who is the most intimidating fighter?
1: So history. When I see the question, is it fair for me to just answer what comes to mind right when you answer? I think
0: that's a. I think that's a good way to do it.
1: And I mean, hopefully, it's not the most obvious choice, but I mean, I kind of have to choose Francis Ngannou. I mean, we're talking about a guy with absolute one punch power. He literally has fifteen or sixteen professional wins. All of them are via finish, and like twelve of them are by knockout. He just took just destroyed our guy Steve miocic as much as i hate to say it this dude is truly terrifying outside of his fight with uh miocic the first time and the first Derek lewis fight those are you know, we don't talk about those but when he wins he does it in dominating fashion he takes people's heads off i mean my god he took alistair Overims head and knocked it into the second row of the arena then you i mean it's just this dude when he touches you it seems like you fall and I just we don't see that often, even throughout 28 years of mm-hmm. UFC history, even MMA history as a whole, you don't see that very often. I have to go Francis and Yeah, I don't
0: want to um, like. I mean, that's a if it's an obvious one, if it's the most obvious one, there's probably a good reason for that. Yeah, because a lot of people agree <laughs> with you. Um, I since I found the question, like I obviously was able to think about it a little bit longer. So like my answer was like I. I tried to dig a little deeper, I yeah. guess, and not so I can't really go right off the top of my head. Um, but when I thought about it, I was like, okay, like kind of what makes someone because I, I legitimately would be I would probably be more terrified to be with put in a cage with someone who I who would submit me, at least like an, an arm bar or like yeah. a leg lock, than someone who would knock me out. I legitimately yeah. am more terrified of my limbs being pulled off my body. So someone like Ryan Hall almost would scare me more to fight him than Francis
1: Ngannou. And then you you put them next to each other, you're like, wait, are you sure
0: you want to choose <laughs> yeah. Which I don't but I, I still see the point for Ngannou. I mean physically yeah. opposing the one punch power the way I say that, but I don't want my toes to curl like Alistair Overeem did <laughs> yeah. back in the day. You know that's that I don't want to be stiff as a board now. So what I think about is it, it's just like who had the presence for me. You know, when I when I watched them get into the cage or in this case, ring. You know, when it's just you just immediately felt like this this ominous presence, and yeah. you're like, oh my god! There's just a
1: dark cloud over your head. Like you
0: just feel like there's something evil about that man. Sure. <laughs> yeah, and that's gonna be the Pride era, Axe Murderer himself. Vanderlei Silva.
1: I can't let you get close.
0: (laughs) (laughs) See, that made him a little less scary. Once once Chael got top mount with some flip-flops, it it just – Hence why Noah
1: chose the Pride era version. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, But Pride era Vanderlei Silva, there's nothing like him, man. He's not the biggest guy in the world. But a guy who, when he came in – he just his face said murder like he just said i'm going to murder you like that's Hell yeah it's intimidating to me that a guy could flip it like to have that kind of mentality uh-huh. that that when you're in the when the when you're in the cage or when you're in this case the ring um you just flip a switch and it's like i am not going to stop if this ref doesn't pull me off i'm not stopping he chose
1: violence every time he stepped into an octagon or yeah. cage or a ring.
0: And, I mean, that just scares the shit out of me. That, like, a guy <laughs> has to – that's what the referee – for. it felt like for a Vanderlei Silva fight, the referee was put in there because if – legitimately, if there was no ref in there, he's not stopping.
1: Yes. I feel bad for the referees that had to do his fights because they <laughs> were probably just on their toes, so antsy, the whole week leading yeah. in.
0: Yeah. Um, I was very close when I first started watching – before I kind of went back and watched a lot of the pride fights of old and stuff, Yoel Romero was the one for mm. me. That's that's a guy who scared the shit out of me. However, kind of like gannu their personalities outside of the Octagon are so lovable.
1: Gentle giants.
0: Yeah, that it's like, okay. I mean, sure, do they turn it on in the cage? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but it just it makes me feel a little more like comfortable. Can I it's give you honorable
1: mention? Yeah, go ahead. Because it just dawned on me, and this might be kind of an interesting one. I want to see what you think here. The eagle Habib Nurmagomedov. Now think think about it here. This is a guy that's not going to come out and one-punch KO you, snap your arm off your body, but this is a guy that when it's fight week, this dude is untouchable. Like, yeah. when he would come out and say these things, like, I'm going to drag them into the ocean and drown them, and then he just has this ability to go into the octagon and drain someone's will drain their spirit from their body. And he could just do whatever he wants to you. And you essentially have no answers. That in itself is kind of scary to think about. Again, not the guy that's going to go out and one punch KO anyone. He's got decision wins, but so dominant and such a just force to be reckoned with. And the video that's come out this week of him at AKA training saying like, Oh, if you're going to, I forget the exact quote, but if the training's hard, you go home and go cry. You're not meant to be here with me training. It's just like that dude can flip a switch, and he may not talk crazy trash or, again, take people's heads off, but what an intimidating force to just know that when you're in there, you have no answer, and you just have to deal with it until he finishes you off. It's kind of crazy.
0: You know, when you said it, my mind went to the fact that as a big man myself, my cardio's one of my weakest points. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I'm imagining just being forced into a 25 minute ground and pound That's on like, my back. Just I'm imagining like Edson Barboza fight. Like, yeah. Type. It's waking up in cold sweats like a nightmare type like I think he would I believe him when he says I would drag him into the deepest yes. waters and then drown him. I yes. think I'd drown in there. I'd drown. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So I, I don't want to drown. <laughs> I have no interest <laughs> in drowning. Yeah. I love uh, it. Anyways, uh, this is a fun one. I actually got this from Morning Combat. Another, uh, I'm sure most of you that are listening or watching have probably heard of them. Luke Thomas and Brian Campbell. Check them out. Yeah, a little bigger <laughs> than us right Spotify. now. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, they talked about this on their podcast, and I thought it was a really cool topic. So I thought we'd bring it here. Name two fighters who have yet to fight each other that you could see. Having a future trilogy of fights. This carries over from our trilogy conversation True. from last Wednesday. So it's still topical. We got Saturday. It carries into a trilogy. Yeah. yeah. So two uh, fighters. And this doesn't have to be UFC hint hint. I mean, there's a might be an obvious one. Yeah. For outside the UFC. I don't know if you're you might not be thinking of it right now, but
1: I'll let you pick up on that one. I'm gonna go with one that is scheduled but technically hasn't happened yet, that kind of intrigues me that there could be a potential trilogy because I think both guys are so good and so elite in their weight class. What are your thoughts on a potential trilogy down the line, of course, the first fight having not happened yet, between uh, featherweight champion Volkanovsky, Alexander Volkanovsky, and Brian Ortega? Because I'm very intrigued at how their stylistic styles will play out Uh, in this first title fight come hopefully september i think is what we discussed and was rumored so i just think that the way both guys carry themselves they have they're always going to have this season the ultimate fighter behind them we've seen it begin to pick up a little bit a little bit more chirpy so there is a bit of a rivalry that is brewing they're ultra competitive two of the most elite level guys of course throw max holloway in there to the top three and then there's a pretty large gap i feel at least at featherweight and you got Volkanovsky, who's as well-rounded as they come, can wrestle, can strike, can grapple, do all the good stuff. Then Ortega, known as the Jiu-Jitsu Ace, but you see his fight against um, Korean Zombie last year where he really flipped a switch and looked better than ever on the feet. I think it is something that, you know, come September when they fight for the first time, it might not be the last time we see him in there with one another. Kind of a random one, but... I
0: don't know. It's just the way that they match up with one another. It's going to be kind of random no matter who you pick, right? Because it's that's these also two true, guys right? that have never <laughs> fought before. Yeah. Um, in this case, I, I don't think that's one that's like too out there or anything like that. Um, my only, I guess, hold up on it is if I see two guys fighting three times in their career and. The first one's going to be for a belt, in this case, for Ortega and Volkanovski. Then you have to imagine the next two are probably going to be for a belt. Yeah. I just don't see – I don't know if I see those two holding that top spot when you have a guy like Max Holloway just waiting right there. Um, I guess it doesn't have to be that way. It could be, you know, they're they're not fighting for a belt. Maybe it's a number one contender fight at some point. I don't know. I just – I, I think Max Holloway has a trilogy that's still yet to be resolved with Volkanovski, mm-hmm. technically, which might end up turning into a best of five, for all we know. Yeah, no kidding. So, um, it's I'm not. I, that's the only holdup I have. But uh, I mean, otherwise, it's I definitely think that uh, Ortega with the growth he's shown, like that, the, the stylistically, that's a very interesting matchup for a set of three. I'm gonna go with. This is one that actually was presented on Morning Combat, so I'm not the first one to bring it up. It's a fight that's already booked, but hasn't happened yet. It's a Bellator matchup. I do Patric- it, <laughs> Patricio Pitbull, AJ McKee. Yeah, I mean how how are my, how would I go with anything else? Yeah, I mean these two, and it, it, we, who knows? This first fight might suck, or it might be super <laughs> one sided for Pitbull, and then it's just kind of like, well, you know, that was fun. But I just really could see, even if Pitbull wins this matchup the first time, Mm -hmm. I really could see him and McKee just having fighting, kind of like GSP and Matt Hughes back in the day. Yeah. The first fight, you got, you know, Pitbull, who's the established veteran, the top of the division. And then you got McKee, who would be the GSP in this case, the young, really trying to.
1: You know, the, fu-
0: the future, if you will, yeah. but maybe just a bit too soon, and he gets taken out in the first fight. However, he brings himself back and takes that top position in the next two fights and wins the trilogy. That's how I could really see that happening with someone like AJ McKee. It like could essentially one,
1: turn into like a passing of the torch.
0: Yeah, this, this could maybe be too soon for him in the first one, but then six months, a year, whatever from now, he could be right back up there and just a smarter – more mature, mm-hmm. more experienced fighter. It's yeah. entirely possible. That's that's the one that I just don't see any other one that would top it. In my opinion, like that's,
1: I like that one, man. Especially going outside of the box, going to Bellator. You don't get huge names out of there, but when you have the two of the arguable biggest names they've got squared up in July, I can't wait for that fight, man. I love that one.
0: We're gonna transition back to UFC 264. You guys <laughs> thought we were done? We're not. No. Nah. One of the biggest prospects on that card that we didn't bring up earlier, because he's on the main card, is Mr. Sean O'Malley. Yeah. Scheduled to fight Luis Smolka. He's now fighting Chris. Chris. I,
1: yeah, I forget how to say <laughs> Starts it. Starts with
0: an M, but I don't. Yeah. Mm, I, yeah. We'll figure it out on Friday. Um, so Sean O'Malley has had an interesting UFC run so far. And since he is one of the biggest prospects in the whole company, And biggest names. It's a very fair um, comparison right here to look at. Why is the UFC bringing Sean O'Malley up at such a different pace than usual for their prospects? And when this person, the person that put this question, proposed it, it was definitely, I definitely cleaned it up a bit. It was definitely more negatively
1: like,
0: why is the UFC not pushing him more? Why is he not fighting? I think the obvious one is that he did lose. He did he, lose. You know, to uh, which Marlon Vera, a very good opponent.
1: Yeah, Chido Vera plays a big factor in this question.
0: <laughs> I mean, he does, but, I mean, okay, to go – so you lose to, to Marlon Vera. And then after that, he fights um, – who did he fight after that? It was uh, – um, who's the guy that – Thomas Almeida. Yes. Thomas Almeida. A one-time looked like another really big prospect, but a guy who hadn't won a fight, I think, since 2017 or something like on that. on a
1: three-fight knockout loss streak. Yeah.
0: And it carried into the, yes, that one. Yes. It carried over in this fight, too. So then he goes from Thomas Almeida to scheduled Luis Smolka. Is Smolka, in your eyes, a step up from Almeida at this point? Or mm. did you feel like that was just more of a – Lateral step, or is he going back? Is he going down? I'd say
1: lateral is a good way to. When they announced Luis Small, I was very surprised because I really thought, well, maybe they are going to do like a top fifteen guy at this point. Yeah, he bounced back from the loss to Cheeto. Cheeto's ranked now, so you know. And yes, he. I think he legitimately lost Cheeto, but people say the calf and the leg, and he walks around with a thirteen and no shirt still. Get into that all you want, but I thought he was going to bounce back, and he did against Almeida. And then I thought, okay. Number 15, number 14 guy, we'll see what they do. Nope, they schedule Lee Smoka. Unfortunately for him, Anno O'Malley, he falls out. Now we get a guy that's making his UFC debut. He's 9-4, and a lot of backlash in the community about that um, fight announcement. So, I mean, overall, I guess the question, why are they bringing him up at a different pace? It is odd because he is a contender series guy. And you look at some of the contender series people, I mean, Alex Breds, for God's sake, fought for a title already. Macy Barber, they pushed very quickly, who was undefeated, but now she has since lost. So maybe they're seeing that some of their contender series, um, I don't want to say experiments because they're all great fighters, but they pushed them all the way to a certain point to a title fight, or even Ige just fought Zombie. Macy Barber fought Roxanne, who was like top eight, I think, when they fought, and they faltered, and they lost. And it takes away some of that momentum, so maybe they're just being a little bit more careful with a guy like O'Malley. But he has such a loyal – well, he has like a love-hate fan base. You either love the guy or you hate the guy. I mean, we're pretty in the middle. I mean, I enjoy listening to him talk. and He's really good in the octagon. But it's just it's, – it's odd because there, there is a star power here more so than those other contender series people. I will give it that. So maybe that's why they just – they know what – Right now at his current skill level, what's a good stylistic matchup and what's a bad one?
0: I don't know. I do think a lot of his fights are to his benefit stylistically. Um, I I, I think people are being a little unfair on the UFC and on Sean O'Malley for his late replacement opponent here. I get it. It's a guy making his UFC debut. But, like, I don't know – what you guys were really expecting? I mean, if it like, it was kind of proven that he obviously the Ricky Smith fight like that. Ricky looks kind of silly in that in that exchange. I'm just gonna be honest. Like Ricky kind of calling for the fight, but then it's like, oh, but you can't. You have to fight at 145 or 140, whatever he said. Um, it's like I don't know. I think if I'm Sean O'Malley, I'm gonna stick to bantamweight. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless my whole point here is that I think that people are being too harsh on the UFC in this fight coming up just because the fight was what a week out you want Sean O'Malley on the card you had a guy who was willing to step up who could make Bantam weight I'm sure maybe one of these other guys that tweeted might have wanted the fight but who knows man I don't I don't know how these communications go when it comes to finding opponents I mean, Ray Borg threw his name out there, but Ray Borg's not even with the company anymore. Ray so like, Keller, yeah, just who knows? It, sure, they might tweet that they want the fight, but are they are they able to make the weight? That's what annoyed me about the Ricky Simone because I like Ricky Simone. You know mm-hmm. love Ricky Simone, yeah. He, he looks silly, in my opinion, because he I, and now I can't even remember all the all that happened with it. But it was really. The guy, he, he claimed he wanted the fight, which I mean, he did, but he wanted it at essentially featherweight. Mm-hmm. And like, to me, that's just like, don't get on Twitter and talk a big game and say, I want this fight. I want to step in and be the opponent, but only if you fight me 10 pounds heavier. Like, it's just, come on, dude. Like, just take it easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, I don't know. What do you, do you, do you have any opinion on? that mm, like
1: the fight getting made specifically for 264 no um and then again just in terms of like his career as a whole i think it is just they see some other contenders people have faltered and they know that O'Malley's the biggest star from the show and they want to be careful i mean at the end of the day this guy could be a needle mover for the company at some point he they have i mean he made what did he co-main for uh DC and uh Stepe at 252 or he was on the main card of yeah, that he's one too co-main. So, I mean, that tells you right there what they think of him. And that was against Eddie Wineland, another unranked guy. That no, is that good. was Marlon Vera. or oh, that one was Marlon Vera? Okay. He, he
0: opened the main card. With Eddie. 250 with Eddie Wineland. Okay, yeah.
1: thank you. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just think that kind of shows where they think they can take O'Malley and why they're just being a bit more careful. It's just really matchup-based for him right now. It which-
0: doesn't help that he got lucky with the Andre Sukumtoth fight. Uh, oh moment. yeah people
1: forget about this why don't you remind them real quick? yeah where he
0: uh, i don't even remember if it was a uh, sukumtoth that like did a you know kind of like what vera did like I don't it, know was if it was his ankle hit, again
1: yeah but he
0: rolled his ankle or something in the fight broke his ankle literally couldn't walk couldn't walk couldn't put any weight on it and Toth just goes for the takedown and hmm. rides the rest of the fight in top position but loses like O'Malley lost. He was that already round, down. Yeah. But it ended up being a 29-28 across the board for O'Malley, and it should have yeah. been. So uh Todd looks pretty stupid, pretty silly there. And uh O'Malley carries on. But that could have been that really should have been O'Malley's first loss right there.
1: Yeah, and that's a guy that's not even in the UFC anymore. So yeah.
0: and then it happens in similar fashion with Marlon Barrett's so like, is this always gonna be a problem for Sean O'Malley? Or yeah. is this just a weird Name where it happened twice, to you know, is it just bad luck? I don't know,
1: yeah.
0: But uh, that Marlon Vera fight, I just, I still think, I think that just sticks in their heads like,
1: oof, you gotta really be careful.
0: Go, like, even though a lot of people look at that fight and say, oh, Marlon got lucky, whatever, yeah. disagree, yeah. But you're entitled to your opinion. I'm just saying that, uh, I don't know, I, I think that's gotta be the reason because. Otherwise, if he had beaten Marlon Vera, he might be fighting for a title right now. I mean, yeah. Truthfully speaking, uh, I think that guy was getting the Conor McGregor route. To, I mean, you get your first test really. If he would have passed, a, they would have probably given him top five or top, uh, very close to a title contention fight after Cheetah. Yeah, I yeah. definitely think that. Yeah, I agree. It's just. He didn't pass that first test, so now he's really really trying to be like, okay, we don't want to ruin this, right? Ruin any momentum. Yeah, but um, I'm sure he'll have a good performance on Saturday, and maybe we start to look. Hopefully, we start to look towards maybe a top 15 level guy next. And if
1: not, we're in for a very, very big betting upset. Just saying. Just
0: be on the (laughs) lookout. Yeah, that's true. That would
1: be crazy. Anyway, (laughs)
0: let's get into some sad questions. (laughs) Ah. This is where I leave, and you guys just look at my background. I I, I, I kind of regret grouping the two most somber questions At the end. At at the end. We do have a viewer question. that's a little bit more positive. However, (laughs) this one feels – I honestly feel kind of bad talking about it, so we'll we'll be brief on this one. Yeah. Which fighter do you fear will have a Chuck Liddell or BJ Penn level – ball from grace a fighter right now that's at the top of his game who in a few years or whenever that chin goes it's gone and well maybe maybe you could put tony ferguson on there i probably wouldn't because the guy isn't getting finished necessarily but um
1: uh well i'm just gonna say one that's already happened that pains me to say but i have to man up here and just let it out anderson silva now granted he's looking good in boxing right now but his uh, departure from the ufc and mma was very somber. I mean, we were talking losing, you know, six of his last seven, seven of his last eight, and then the (laughs) one against Brunson, you argue he should have lost. But then I thought he beat Bisbing. Nevertheless, the guy ended with knockouts and had other knockouts squeezed in there. Of course, he did have some competitive bouts, I will say, but especially when you see him go out the way he did last Halloween against Uriah Hall, you hate to see that. But in terms of active guys right now, Noah – it, this is gonna hurt. Uh,
0: there's this gotta, is gonna hurt me. To, be, you gotta yeah, rip the um,
1: mandate off. Well, he's on my wall, right there. <laughs> Our Ohio boy, Stepe yeah. Miochik. Now, I don't think he's gonna go out and you know lose six, seven straight. But we saw him just lose the belt to uh, Ingunu. We saw him get brutally knocked out by DC. Now, granted, he bounced back in one, two there against him. But this is a guy that. Can get hit, and he has shown a susceptible chin, and has got knocked out. And I know inbound is a different beast, and I know the DC shot was he didn't see it coming. But at the end of the day, it's still your chin getting rocked, and especially when you're at heavyweight, it makes it even more the case to go out in a very you know brutal fashion. So as much as I hate to say this, and I don't necessarily think it will happen, but I fear, and that's in the question here, fear it could happen. Should he continue? Long enough, but at the end of the day, Stipe, the greatest heavyweight of all time, damn it, he's gonna go out on a shield no matter what. That I can always know for Stipe, Miojin.
0: yeah, that's a good one because you know how big of fans we are, Stipe. However, I i didn't go that direction because I think Stipe might only have like another fight left, and then, yeah, unless he wins the belt again somehow and then we're back, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm gonna, this one's actually probably gonna hurt you a little bit too. Hmm. Um, Max Holloway is going to be my pick. Oh boy, the man who has absorbed more strikes than any other person on the active roster right now. Look, the guy looks incredible, but there's going to be a limit.
1: Some at some point, the chin has to go, right?
0: And I and he's withstanding more at this point than most have
1: than a human should. So
0: I kind of worry that this could happen sooner than later, but I also think Max is the type of guy who's just going to keep trying to get going there. And I don't, and I, and and I, I don't even like talking about it, but that's who I first see if I had to guess someone that I worry you, you fear it could happen. Yeah. Not only do I fear that the chin might go just from the sheer volume of strikes accumulated over the career, but also someone who would be stubborn enough to keep getting back in there, being like, "I know I can do it this time," and then it's just another one, another one. It's just like, right. And I know that would just hurt little Dom over there. And it would. He'd be wearing the blessed hoodie and just be real sad. Yes. Pure pain. Another sad question. Damn it, man! <laughs> but this involves UFC 264, so at least or we're back, back on track. <laughs> <laughs> in our co-main event, Stephen Thompson. The the NMF, if you will. Yes, this is true. One of the nicest guys in the world. He's really a lot of talk is that if Stephen Thompson wins this fight, he's really knocking on the door for a title shot. If not, cashed his check and now he's next up potentially. I, mm-hmm. We still haven't got Newsman versus Covington scheduled, so I don't yeah. know what's what's going on really with welterweight right now. So the question here, though, is I think what's kind of not being talked about is even though it's it seems to be accepted that if Thompson wins, he's getting a title shot. But I think what's just as likely but isn't really being factored in is if he loses, I think that might be it for him. So the question here is if Stephen Thompson loses at UFC 264, then where does he go from there? And sure, you might have to factor in you know, how does he look in the fight did he get finished? Did he, you know, was it a war that he just barely lost or what? You know what I mean? Yeah. But I I think uh for me, if he loses this fight, and I'm trying to think of it like regardless of if he how close it is or whatever, I just think that at his age, and as being a guy who has fought for a belt multiple times in his past and didn't didn't win it. I think that might be about it. Like, really, do I really foresee him after if he loses Saturday? Do I foresee him fighting another top contender? I don't know. I really could see if he loses. I could see him and Mosby all happening, actually. That would be.
1: Dare I say, do you believe this is a crossroads fight, then, for Stephen Thompson? It
0: is. It's got to be. Because, sure, everybody wants to talk about that how good of a place he's in because if he wins title shot yeah but if he loses there's no title shot yeah i think that's something i far. can't
1: agree with you on is i think if he loses he won't get another chance to fight for a belt yeah i agree
0: i just think uh yeah i don't want to go too far into like you know i'm not saying we have to talk about what's what opponents next or whatever but more so just we agree that a title shot would probably be all but do, not all but happen. done it would
1: essentially be fighting you know i mean other... do you think he
0: would still fight you know some relative high contenders or do you think he tries to f- find some maybe more money fights you know maybe he tries to go fight a diaz or a all like is that in the cards for him or
1: uh i can't see wonder boy in like a money fight situation i think he i mean again you did you do to factor in his age i mean he is 37 38 years old he's been competing very very long he's been doing mma since he was three so because this guy was an undefeated kickboxer, has like 100 kickboxing fights. I mean, he's been through the ringer. So, yeah, if he loses here, I think maybe not retirement. I don't want to say something like that, but he would fight other up and coming guys. I mean, we saw his last two fights were essentially that K and then Jeff Neal. I think it would be fights kind of like that. Should he lose to Gilbert Burns here?
0: They're just going to really try to feed him to the the next. The guys that are reccomers. coming into
1: the top ten. Yeah. Yeah. So he's
0: going to be more like a gatekeeper, almost.
1: Yeah, and he said that is not in his plans. That is not what he wants with his career. <laughs> so he's got a big statement to make at UFC 264.
0: Yeah, I'll be very interested to see if he does lose, kind of what where his head's at afterwards. Is he? Yeah. Is he in his head? Is he already accepted? Like my next loss is I'm done. Mm-hmm. Or is it, you know. Keep trucking business as usual. What is it? You know, yeah. we're gonna wrap it up here. We're gonna bring it back to a little more positive note. This is our viewer question. Yeah, shout out to Michael, guy that we graduated high school with, or we went to not with, people. but yeah, yeah, I mean, we went to that. high school with him. Um, good longtime viewer of the podcast, so appreciate the support. His question's about Henry Cejudo, Dom. Yes. I, mean, I know you already know this, but I'm just setting it up <laughs> because I'm talking to you right now. And um, Henry Cejudo, a guy who literally from the moment he retired has not stopped no. barking and <laughs> chirping at people.
1: What a guy. Um,
0: <laughs> so this question is, if Henry Cejudo returned, could he win back the flyweight and or bantamweight titles and then he elaborated on the bantamweight part to consider either opponent between Aljo and Yan. Since obviously there's it there yeah. was like Jan might be probably the the better the, yeah but I don't know I don't want to assume what anybody thinks but just Jan, the controversy it in their like fight. Jan was gonna win that <laughs> yeah. fight before it happened. Yeah. So um so what do you think here? Let's start with flyweight. I was gonna so say let's Brandon tackle Reynolds.
1: flyweight first, right? And my um, biggest
0: my biggest question would be could Henry Cejudo make flyweight at this point?
1: That is a good question because we do, you know, you look at recency when he retired, he was at Bantamweight. So that is a good point. Um, He's a thick guy. I mean, he always has been a pretty built, muscular dude.
0: But he's also like 5'3".
1: But he is also very short, yes. So um, I think he could still make the weight. I mean, at the end of the day, this is an Olympic gold medalist, a guy that's been, been there and done that in the wrestling room. He's a guy that knows his way around weight cutting. So I think he could make the weight. And I think a fight between him and, of course, we'll go with the current champ, so Brianna Moreno. That's a very, very fun stylistic fight because Moreno, granted he's not the Olympic gold medalist wrestler You know that Cejudo is, he does kind of have similar strengths to Cejudo where he's a great grappler, very good jiu-jitsu, and on the feet, the way he looked against Davis and Figueiredo in the rematch, he may even be better than Suhudo in the striking department, so I think that is a very... Very interesting stylistic clash. Could he win the belt back? Yes. Henry Sudo is one of the best fighters we've seen in the UFC, regardless of how long he was there and, you know, how many fights he had. And for that very reason, I think he could win that belt back. He could beat Brandon Moreno, but will he? We'll see. I think that's a very cool fight.
0: I think we need to take it a step further than that, Dom. Um, does he okay. beat Brandon Moreno? Does
1: he beat Brandon Moreno?
0: I say yes. Yes. I do. I think really highly of Henry Cejudo's skill set, and I know he's been gone for about a year at this point. And, um, even when he was right before he retired, it's not like he was super active really at that point, but um, the guy is, in my opinion, the best all-around combat sports athlete of all time, if you take into account the Olympic gold and the titles he's won in the UFC. I don't think you can... Uh, I don't think you can really put anybody over him in terms of accolades. And uh, I think even though Moreno is a great, great fighter, and I love the potential he has as a flyweight champion, I just think Henry Cejudo would be too much for him. And a lot of that does come to the grappling, which I know Moreno is also good. But, I mean, Cejudo is just going to be a lot stronger in there than Moreno is. Yeah. Yeah. you do pose a good question about their abilities on the feet. I I would say though that uh Hudo was making he made a lot of strides in his uh, striking towards yeah. the end there and I mean even doing a bit of a karate stance at times and Yeah. um so he's a bit of a puzzle and I really do think he would I think he he would beat Brandon Moreno.
1: All right, if you're forcing me to do it, no. Brandon Moreno and still I just think If we're going off of, you know, recency bias well, obviously the last time we saw Cejudo was (laughs) an up a weight class at 135, but for Moreno, that performance he just had to win the title against Figueredo was literally flawless. I could not nitpick one bad thing he did in that fight. The fact that he was dropping Davison with a jab, piecing him up on the feet, acing him on the ground with the jiu-jitsu, ultimately gets the submission finish. I think in terms of well-roundedness, again, that striking – I think is where he would get the biggest benefit in this one in grappling, good enough to hold his own. I would honestly go with Moreno. I think he would be able to defeat Cejudo at flyweight. Okay.
0: But at bantamweight, interesting interesting question posed here because even though I think I speak for both of us when I say that, uh, you know, we we look at a potential rematch with Peter Yan and Aljamain Sterling, going Peter Jan's way, I think. Is that fair to say? Yes. Um, Despite that, I actually think Aljo might be just as tough, if not tougher, of an opponent for Suhudo here. That's all about the styles, right? (laughs) Because Aljamain is so good on the ground as well, and he's a bigger guy than It's They're different styles, which I think (sighs) – this is tough. This is a good. These are good. These are good questions. I just. I'm, yes. Even though I think Aljo would make Cerruto have to really work for any sort of ground game in that fight. Again, I looked at the strengths he or the the growth he made in his striking. You look at that Demetrius Johnson fight where, yes, I know he was going for a lot of takedowns, but when the fight was on its on its feet, he looked Elders very own. good. Yeah. yeah. And even Marlon Moraes I thought that fight, he really held his own on the feet as well. I'm I'm going to go with Henry Cejudo over Aljamain Sterling.
1: Henry Cejudo beats Aljamain Sterling, loses to Peter Jan. There we go. I just wanted to Jan, rip it off.
0: Peter Jan is too well-rounded in my opinion.
1: I see Peter Jan not losing for a very long time, if I'm being he,
0: honest. Corey Sanhagen is the only guy I give a chance. Yeah,
1: and I went into the fight with Aljo and Jan, by the way, I picked Aljamain Sterling. And, in that performance from Jan, I was like, oh, well, this guy is a bad mother effer. So, yeah, uh, yeah that's how I think it was. Is there any
0: sport. other reason why, like, maybe you think he would beat Aljo? Just because I don't know if I'm d- giving the uh, reasoning very well.
1: I think, I think on the feet, actually, he'd be able to point fight better on the feet. And the way he moves around, especially that karate stance that he did implement later on, I think that would fare well against a guy like Aljo, who, yes, is good on the feet, but a guy that ultimately does want to grapple. And I don't know if his grappling is still going to be good enough for Henry. So, like, at flyweight, I saw the grappling pretty close with Moreno, but Moreno getting the better end uh, on the feet. But in this, 135 pounds against Sterling, I think Sudo better on the feet and ultimately better on the ground. So he just checks the boxes for me in that one. But pewter Jan, striking is second to none at 135 pounds. I think his, it's just
0: – His takedown defense is so good.
1: His takedown defense is – insane um i mean this is a guy that by the way is a great wrestler i mean this is a guy from russia all they know is eat sleep and breathe wrestling and he knocks people out and points fight and boxes Mm -hmm. incredibly on the feet so that's how good peter yan is i think it just says more about yan to be truthful than like Mm -hmm. where cejudo stands in the current mix at 135 pounds yeah
0: no i think cejudo really is still a championship level fighter at both weight classes oh yeah I, i don't know about a Featherweight, because I know he he really likes the idea of going there. I don't I don't know how much I uh I don't know I don't know how much damage I see him doing there. But I think at those two lightest weight classes, I think Henry Cejudo is a supreme talent and would be very competitive against the top of the heap in both. Would he win all of them? Maybe not. But out of Love. both weight classes, I look at Peter Jan as the best elite pound for pound the best fighter in those two weight classes. So.
1: Yeah, and I just want to add on, just to finish off of this question. Again, thank you, Michael, for the question. Ultimately, it comes down to, does Cejudo return? So, Noah, in your eyes, will Henry Cejudo ever step foot in the UFC octagon again? Just give me a yes or no. That's all. We don't even need a, don't even need a description. <laughs> Do I need a drum roll? No, 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 it's fine, it's fine, it's fine. fine. Well, I'll go first if you want me to. No. No. All right, that's it for the Reddit (laughs) Roundtable.
0: So, thank you guys for listening or watching today's episode, episode 115 MMA Reddit Roundtable. Again, you can leave your own questions by either commenting on maybe this video or any of our social media posts that you'll see or you could leave a voice message, and we'll include it in the podcast if you go to our Anchor page. Yes, please do. Which we're going to plug now. First, I just want to say Friday, MMA weekend preview, but the only big thing happening this weekend as far as events is UFC 264. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be it's going to be just like the good old days where we yep. deep dive these UFC cards. So we're definitely going to be going deep on that one. A lot of fight announcements, too, to go over. Yeah. And anything that happens between now and Thursday, We'll have to wait and see. But until then, Dom, tell the good people where they can find you on social media.
1: You can find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at DSlee14. And more importantly, follow us, like all of our stuff, interact with us, vote on our polls. Whatever I say, you just go do, please. (coughs) You can find the podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast.
0: And for me, you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, at ntbaker underscore there is a link in my bio to the link tree that gives you all the links to all (laughs) the platforms that the podcast is on along with social media platforms and the anchor page as i just mentioned is on there as well that's it we're out and we'll see y'all on friday